Welcome to We the People, a podcast giving a Christian perspective on news, politics, hot topics, and much more. Hosted by Rodney Nesmith, worship pastor at New Life Fellowship in Lovelock, Nevada. This week, Pastor Rodney is joined by Jennifer Say, author of Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job But Gave Me My Voice. The latest episode of We the People starts right after this quick commercial break. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders across the country. So at Firehouse Subs, we don't just make subs, we make subs that are big, bold, and craveable. We make our subs differently because our subs make a difference. Like our Firehouse Meatball or Hearty Italian Sub, your choice for just $6.99 each. Firehouse Subs, enjoy more subs, save more lives. the latest episode of We The People. Here's Rodney. Hey everybody, good evening. This is Rodney with the We The People podcast. And uh, man, I'm excited tonight. We've got a great guest with us. Uh, her name is Jennifer Say. She is, was I should say, was in line to become uh, the CEO of Levi Strauss Company. And uh, then some things happened that uh, that didn't work out. And I'm going to let her explain that to you. And she's got a book. And I'm also going to let her tell you about that book. So, Jennifer, thank you again for being on the We the People podcast. And take it away. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'll give this sort of short version. And then you can ask some questions <laughs> about it. If that works for you. Yeah, um, good. The short is sort of medium. But um I worked at Levi's for uh, 22 and a half years. I started in 1999 as an entry-level marketing assistant, literally the ground floor. Um, and I worked my way all the way up to brand president and was the leading candidate for CEO. I would have been the first female CEO of the company. And that all came to a screeching halt because in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic and lockdowns, I advocated for schools, public schools to open in my city of San Francisco. I don't live there anymore, which is part of the story, but um, the schools in San Francisco were closed for uh, 18 months. Playgrounds were closed for almost 10 months. Um, children were more restricted than every other human being in that city. And I, and they were the least at risk. And mm -hmm. I just found it utterly egregious and dangerous and harmful and a violation of basic civil rights. Um, I was upset about all of the lockdown measures, to be clear, but I focused my advocacy on children because I thought I would be convincing enough. <laughs> and I thought that we could all agree um, that we want the best interest of our children um, right. at heart. And then I also thought, here's the real hypocrisy. Um, in the fall of 2020, all the private schools opened. So all my peers sent their kids back to school at private schools. My kids attended public school. But I thought at that point, people would see the hypocrisy. Um, but think. no, they did not. In fact, um, that is about the time when um, I was counseled very aggressively inside the company to stop. And I said, I know, you know, they kept telling me when you speak, you speak on behalf of the company, you have a very visible, prominent role. And I said, but I'm not, I'm just speaking as a public school mom. And why, how can you tell me that my children and the 50,000 public school children in San Francisco can't have what your children have? Right. That's wholly inequitable. You're here mm -hmm. screaming about equality and all you're going to do to fight for equality. And you're telling me I can't do this thing. So I didn't stop for another year and a half. And then eventually um, I was basically given my walking papers. I was offered severance. I did not accept it. I was offered a large package, a million dollars, in fact. Uh, but that would come with a non-disclosure agreement. So I did right. not want to take the hush money. I quit instead. It was a you can't fire me, I quit kind of situation. <laughs> and I did so very publicly. Um, so that I could, you know, come and talk to you and write this book and, um, mm -hmm. you know, at least contribute a little bit to 
fighting back against this censorship. You know, it, it's just, it's utterly un-American. It's dangerous. Um, anyone mm-hmm. who spoke out um, of the mind of the mainstream narrative on COVID was vilified and demonized and they lied about well, everything, that's for sure. you know? Yeah. They lied about the school closures being necessary. They lied about masks working. They lied about mm-hmm. vaccines working. They lied yeah. about everything. Yeah. And it's incumbent upon us to speak up and, and push back. And so I'm hoping with the book, I can inspire folks to speak up a bit every day in their own life. You don't have to blow your whole life up like I did, but you can challenge, (laughs) um, you can challenge in small ways every day. Yeah. And I, I, you know what, I completely agree with you there. It was absolutely unnecessary to close schools and to keep kids at home and try to learn from a computer which did not work. We know that. And we knew it wasn't going to work. Um, you know, they're way behind in their education because of it now. And, uh, and you know, and again, there's the hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. the hypocrisy. And some of these kids, you know, everybody was screaming, it's just two weeks or two months or two years or however long it was going to be. But, you know, I, I can tell you, for some kids, it's forever. You know, for a kid mm-hmm. that dropped out and didn't finish high school, for a kid who disengaged as a freshman and now will drop out, Um, Chronic absenteeism is at an all time high major cities. um, The chronic absenteeism rate is 40%. That means 40% of the children are absent more than 10% of the time. These kids are not reengaging. We told them they didn't matter. We told them school Mm -hmm. didn't matter. So guess what? They're not going. Yeah. And they're going, okay, Um, you're right. It doesn't matter. And I'm not going. That's right. That's right. So we have harmed a generation of children, the mental health impacts, you know, I don't even want, we didn't even start to get into that. Yeah. And they're Um, huge. And, and not only was it unnecessary, so not only was it unnecessary, it was ineffective and harmful. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely. So I felt like it was worth it. Proven. Yes, it has been. Um, It's been, you know, now I think everybody accepts that it was unnecessary and harmful. Although I will say children are still the locus of all of our anxiety around COVID. You know, there's still debates in Los Angeles, for instance, about bringing mask mandates back into schools Um, on the very youngest children who are just learning to speak. No one's talking about bringing mask mandates back at basketball games and football games and bars. It's only children. Why are we Mm -hmm. so obsessed with kids? The the ones who are least at risk and have the most to lose. There you go. They are the most at least in the entire population from COVID. And, you know, unless they have other existing health issues, obviously there's that part of it that comes into play. But that part came into play with adults as well and still does. You know, if you've got pre-existing health conditions and you get COVID, it's going to be worse for you than people that don't have pre-existing health conditions. Yeah, all of that is true. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, masks and yet, are completely and, ineffective. Yes, and yet one of the most, um, one of the pre-existing health conditions that puts you most at risk after age, just simply being an older person, is obesity. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, you know, the CDC has, has failed to get out a campaign about let's get healthy. We've had three years now. People could have been exercising, walking, mm-hmm. eating healthier, but you were vilified if you said it. I mean, this is one of the things I was demonized for and that people, uh, you know, I, I said something like this is one of the highest risk factors. Let's do a get healthy campaign, CDC. Right. And I was called anti-fat. I was fat phobic. Oh, employees word. complained about me. Um, but we're just denying reality and it's harming mm-hmm. people because Absolutely. we won't say the thing that's actually true, which is we are a very unhealthy country and mm-hmm. we need to do something about it. Yeah. And yet, exactly right. You can't say anything without being vilified. You know, it's like, I'm a fairly fit person and, and I'm 60 years old. But I've always been fit. I have never had to because that's just was my lifestyle. And but you can't say anything about anybody's lifestyle as being unhealthy without being, no, oh, you're you're a horrible person. You're you're, you're shaming a fat people. Yeah, you're a bigot. You're yeah. shaming fat people and blah, 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 blah. No, I'm just saying it's not healthy. And it's because of all of this. It's harmful to people. That that's what's so alarming to me is 
we would rather protect people's feelings than do what's right to help people get well. Um, And we will deny the truth in order to protect Mm -hmm. people's feelings. We will deny the truth that school closures were incredibly harmful. I mean, the names and the tactics used by those seeking to silence, I was called a racist repeatedly, which is clearly a very unemployable name. Nobody wants a brand president that's a racist, but this is what I was called by employees, by the social media mob, because if I wanted public schools to open, I, this, this is the rationale. Yeah. I didn't care if black children died. Right. Yeah, it's, and it's completely ridiculous. It has nothing to do with anybody's race or anything else. It has to do with what's the right thing to do for our kids. They're the future generation. Good grief. If we yeah. jack them up, our future Where generations are, are messed up. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the irony is it's, it was the low-income children that were harmed. It was the black and brown mm-hmm. children that were harmed the most because they're disproportionately in public schools, which were closed the longest. The wealthy yep. white children went back to school in fall 2020, and they're fine. They didn't suffer yep. um, the same learning loss or adverse mental health impacts, although the isolation affected everybody, you know, to be, yeah. to be clear. That was sort of yeah. equal opportunity because we're not right. meant to be alone for that long. No, so, we're, we're definitely a social being. Yeah. So I just, the hypocrisy, I mean, I say I'm, you know, I'm about principles, not party. I was a lifelong lefty. I thought that um, a progressive view, and when I say progressive, I mean one that is about progress, meant Mm -hmm. educating our children so that we are better in the future and giving everyone equal access to an education. So I don't actually feel like I mean, I think a lot of folks think I've been red-pilled or something. I don't really feel like I've changed. You know, I, I always believed in public schools. They're backbone of our community. My children have always gone to public school, even though I had the means to send them to private, because I want them to be part of the community. Um, anyway, I just right. was so incensed, and it all felt so hypocritical, and I was alarmed by the silencing and the chilling effect of what was happening to me, because if people watched in my community what was happening to me, if they agreed with me, they weren't going to speak out because they didn't want to be right. called those names. Absolutely. Um, and this is just da- it's just dangerous. And so I'm hoping with the book to inspire people just a little bit to stand up every day in your everyday life and to push back on whatever madness you see in front of you. Because if we don't all do it soon... I think we're going to lose the opportunity. I agree. And see, I, I was a, I was a little bit of a maverick as far as the COVID thing went as well, because I never believed it was living up to the hype, you know, that everybody was going to die. And, uh, and I had COVID. In fact, I had it twice, but apparently I'm alive. At least I think I am. And uh, you know, our, the place I work during the day is based in the East that's where the home office is. And yet we're in a totally different environment. And, but their COVID rules were the same everywhere. Right. And they wanted us to wear masks. All, and I work in a warehouse where I'm doing a physical job. They wanted us to wear masks all the time. Then when it came to the COVID jab, they wanted us to get that, or we had to test every week and pay for it ourselves. And I just wow. stood up and said, no, I'm not doing any of it. And if so you don't happened? like it, I'll walk. So did you they, leave? No, I'm still there. They backed wow. down because me and some other people, they figured, they found out out here where we have a hard enough time getting employees in Nevada, as it is, that myself and some of the other top workers, if it came down to it, were ready to walk out the door and leave them high and leave Good them high you. and dry. And we were well, going to leave them high that, and dry. Yeah, I know that the is it a distribution center? Like they were very short staff. I mean, we were at Levi's because the e-commerce businesses were all through the roof. So everybody Mm -hmm. was short, um, short on staff and and probably more willing to compromise. But I will tell you in San Francisco, nobody was willing to compromise. Um, Yeah. It's hard to convey the intensity and the fervor with which people believed in these restrictions as the Mm -hmm. only virtuous path. And so, you know, despite the fact that this was my community, I'd worked in this place for over 22 years. I'd lived in San Francisco for over 30 years. They just 
tore me to shreds and I was called every mm. name you could be called and I was dragged through the mud and I lost most of my friends. Um, wow. And, but I, you know, I couldn't concede. I, it, I just, you have to do the right thing. And it was for the mm -hmm. kids and, um, and in defense of speech. And even if I was wrong, I should get to say it. I mean, let's, let's be honest, if, unless we can have these conversations and disagree right. with each other, we can't actually find truth. And what was happening in conjunction, you know, with the government um, and corporations and the press, they were all kind of colluding on this single yeah. message that, as you said, everyone's going to die. And if you said, wait a minute, kids really aren't at that much risk. Let's try to protect them. You were just you had to be banished, you know, you were a heretic. Yeah, you're a <laughs> and, horrible person, you know? Yeah, so that was me. And that's that's what happened. That's my life. So I wrote a book about it, which I hope <laughs> so people will check out. Tell us the title of the book and what all is, what we can expect to find in it. So the book is called Levi's Unbuttoned. Um, which I love the title, by the way. I love that title. Thank you. Thank you. Um there's a subtitle, How the Woke Mob Took My Job But Gave Me My Voice. I suppose mm -hmm. I had a voice already, but it's amplified my voice, which is right. the opposite of what they wanted to happen. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the book is really, um, I guess, a call to arms to people to say what they think and stand up for the things that they care about. Because mm -hmm. the only thing that protects our right to free speech is more speech. So do not be cowed by this mob because you will in fact lose that right. That's what some people actually want right now. And so first and foremost, it's that. And I, I go a little bit into my background and how this was a hard stance for me to take. I don't, I'm not like a natural whistleblower or anything like that, or an especially brave person. I had to really screw up my courage to do it. And so mm -hmm. if I can do it, so can you. Um, but it's not just about my final two years at Levi's, which were ripe with conflict. It's about the entire time, you know, as a woman coming up in corporate America and the challenges I faced and this sort of turn towards what I've been calling woke capitalism and how it is, in fact, a lie to protect, you know, these 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 corporate leaders from any scrutiny. Um, yeah, that's that's that it's an my analysis of woke capitalism largely but a memoir so, so explain uh, explain a little bit about what uh woke capitalism is for those i mean i've got a pretty good idea of it but a lot of people may not sure. so kind of explain well, what that is. yeah i mean it's very trendy for companies led mm -hmm. by ceos to take these very what they would call kind of values-led progressive stances um, you know, the best example in the news right now, I'll use one that's not Levi's, is Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. So for several mm -hmm. years, he kind of wrapped himself in this cloak of wokeness. He was going to save the world and give all his money away with effective altruism. And he gave all this money to pre-pandemic preparedness and environmental causes. And people just thought he was a really good guy, right? Mm -hmm. And right. he's admitted himself in a series of DMs with a reporter that it's just a thing that you know woke westerners do as he said so that people like us and really it's a way to avoid scrutiny because nobody interrogated his business practices and they deserved interrogation the press was afraid mm -hmm. to ask questions they were wooed by his stance um, employees didn't ask questions investors didn't ask questions and look what he did it was a ponzi scheme and he stole money and mm -hmm. yet he still lauded he was on stage this week at the new york times deal book summit he should be mm -hmm. in handcuffs and yet right. um he continues to be lauded elizabeth holmes from theranos same thing so these are extreme examples of founder ceos but everyday ceos from regular more traditional companies are doing the same thing and it's really sort of uh, reputation laundering is what i would call it because, mm -hmm. you know, they pretend to be altruists. They, they feel kind of guilty about being super rich because you're, you're not supposed to want to be that <laughs> no, anymore. No, 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 no. It's bad. It used to be okay. In the 80s, yeah. it was okay to want to be rich. Now it's not. They feel guilty, so they pretend they're philanthropists mm -hmm. instead. And we fall for it. And anyone who challenges this narrative um, of kind of woke progressive politics has to go because you risk bursting that that bubble and that facade. And for whatever reason, COVID restrictions became 
the progressive policy. I don't really understand it. If you ask me to analyze that, I don't know that I could explain it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. Um, So woke with the woke capitalism, it's part of that is kind of pandering to certain groups, isn't? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. I mean, I really think it's an attempt to capitalize on um, and profit off of Gen Z and millennial activism. You know, mm-hmm. these younger um, younger folks are lean further left and are right. very active. Probably only a very small percentage are actually literally activists, but yeah. a lot of them are kind of keyboard activists. Yes, and they're very very vocal. And I think, you know, corporate leaders think, oh, if we take these stands, they'll like us and it'll be financially expedient for us. So that's definitely one piece of it. And that's a cynical view, but I think it's accurate. And take yeah, it from someone who's been inside boardrooms and I've yeah. been inside boardrooms. You, and would, you would know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think they also start to fall for their own line of, can I curse on this? <laughs> of, bull, of bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. They want to be liked for being good people and for being philanthropists, not just for having lots of money, because people don't right. like you that much anymore if you have lots of money. So they pretend they're these do-gooders like Sam Bankman-Fried, mm-hmm. and, and they really believe it after a time. But make no mistake. I mean, I'll give you an example. At Levi's, during COVID lockdowns, you know, a lot, 80% of our stores were closed. We laid off 15% of our workforce. During that same time period, the CEO cashed in on $42 million worth of stock. Ooh. So how woke are you? Yeah, right. Right. Not very, it doesn't sound like. How much do you really care about the little Mm -hmm. guy? Right. And, and, you know, a lot of this too is you, is you, I was reading your bio today and we're talking about how that Levi's started pandering to uh, the LBGD. LBGTQ community and, you know, coming out with certain clothing with rainbow, the rainbow thing and all all this kind of thing. I think that um, you're breaking up on me a little. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Um, Yeah. yeah, Levi's Mm -hmm. had always been at see, and and I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, what is my line? Like, where's the line? Mm -hmm. When is it? protecting employees versus exploiting young consumers to make money. And Levi's had a long history of kind of being at the forefront of civil rights for employees. So they integrated factories in California and the South, despite before the law required it, um, meaning, you know, a black sewing machine operator would sit right next to a white. That sounds crazy now, but that didn't, that wasn't yeah, I know it, it didn't used to happen in the 50s. Yeah. yeah, and employees threatened to quit, but they did it anyway. You know, I was very proud of that, that they'd taken mm-hmm. that stance. Um, they'd also been at the forefront of LGBTQ equality in terms of employee welfare. So they were the first Fortune 500 company to offer same-sex partner benefits in 1992 okay. before anyone talked about marriage equality. I think these things are great things. I think that mm-hmm. companies should treat employees with fairness. Right. I think they should allow free speech for all employees, not just the ones who say things they like. Correct. Um, But when it crosses over into kind of, you know, into the consumer landscape and you're really kind of trying to profit off of these stances versus just treat your employees with real fairness, that's for me when it really crosses a line, you know? Right. you guys have been at the forefront of LGBTQ causes because in San Francisco, there's a large um, right. gay population. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a large percentage of, of gay employees because we were in San Francisco. It's also fashion and there tends to be a higher percentage. And so right. this is an issue near and dear um, to the company's heart. And I respect that. But when you start virtue signaling about, you know, everything else to consumers just so people like you that's when i sort of take issue with it and it does also i will say this it starts to take over and you're not really focused on the things that actually make your business great like making great jeans and marketing great jeans, um, which is what levi's was known for yeah and i think we sort of see some of this in the disney situation you know their Mm -hmm. their ceo bob chapek was recently pushed out um it was because the business wasn't performing. Their stock price has fallen 40% in the, in yeah. the last year because they're distracted. You know, he's like picking fights with Ron DeSantis over the 
the the the education bill like mm-hmm. what do you what does that have to do with you disney just open the parks <laughs> and get right. the business back right. on track you know uh-huh. so anyway it has all it's it, it for me it has all sorts of problems one it's a lie and two it's a real distraction from you know i think the basics of business that all businesses should be focused on but very few ceos have had the courage to stand up to it most kind of cow to this very vocal mob yeah because they're afraid yeah yeah that's very true and you know that's to me like you said levi's is a clothing business i mean you don't need to be pandering to certain groups or whatever just make good clothes and let them speak for themselves that people can afford and want to buy and you'll make money and you'll be successful you will. And I, I, I guess what I would like, what I hope is that I can be part of, you know, provoking that shift back to some sort of normie capitalism, which is what I call it. Because you know what, if CEOs think twice about firing an employee because they have a viewpoint that's maybe different than some of the employees, I want that. I want them to think twice about it. That, yeah. That's ridiculous. You know, I wasn't yeah, doing that. Goes to you know, the, again, that goes right back to free speech. Everybody should be able to disagree as long as you're doing it in a in a right respectful. manner. Yeah, respectful yeah. manner. We should all be able to talk to each other, disagree, either come to an agreement or agree to good disagree. Whichever the case is, we should all have that option. Yeah. Yeah, but we seem to have lost the ability to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I would like to be a tiny part of normalizing dissent again, um, because without that debate and dissent, we actually can never say we're truly seeking the truth. Right. It's just propaganda, you mm-hmm. know, at that point, because what, what happened during well, COVID right. you know, was- the popular now is the thing is everybody's got their own truth and nobody's after the real truth. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, because the left wants to silence anyone who has a different perspective. <laughs> I mean, you can't honestly yep. say you're respectful of the search for truth if you want to silence anyone who disagrees with you, which is what I see happening yeah. um, from the Democratic Party. I mean, obviously, the Twitter feud is, you know, is evidence of that. They kicked people <laughs> off the platform, yeah. including my husband. My husband is, is banished. Um, because of misinformation, many of the, you know, points that were called misinformation are now clearly true. And there was always a grain Mm -hmm. of truth. I mean, my husband, for instance, was kicked off of Twitter because he talked about the fact that the vaccines have side effects. He said the vaccines have the known side effects are myocarditis and blood clots. Mm -hmm. How dare he he say that? that. (laughs) I mean, that's a, that's, that's yeah, I believe it. True. I mean, there were doctors that got kicked off for that. Yeah. Yeah. It is literally true. And there were so, doctors that got kicked off of Twitter for the same thing. They were got banished from news shows from coming on and being guests because of it, too. So it's ridiculous. Oh, careers have been ruined. People have been, yeah. you know, barred from practicing medicine again. And the fact mm-hmm. is, those things are true. And we need to discuss them because they are harmful. And the fact that they are true should guide policy. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Let's do that. (laughs) Exactly. So that's why I was willing to give up my career and a lot of money, because to me, this is just I can't really fathom anything more important than this than fighting for speech. Yeah. And you've got four kids, correct? I do. Awesome. So do I. (laughs) <laughs> um, oh that's a good number no one has four anymore yeah, that's a great number <laughs> it's fun i bet yours don't range like mine do mine go 22 yeah, literally 19. fighting for your, your own kids yes fighting for my own yeah mine are but all also in for your 30s kids with less than mine oh wow yeah, yeah mine are 22, 19, um, eight and six. So I had a big gap in the middle, but you know, and you know what my kids have, yeah, my kids have every, um, advantage imaginable. So it was also their friends. I was thinking about their peer group Mm -hmm. that, you know, were in 
are in public schools, um, kids we should all care about. And kids everybody was saying they did care about in the summer of right. 2020 when they were marching for Black Lives Matter and equal rights. Uh, mm -hmm. But apparently they didn't care enough to let them go to school. No, that was too dangerous. That was far too dangerous. <laughs> but it's okay to keep them stuck at home with no socialization and all that kind of thing and stick a mask on their face. That's okay, but don't let them go to school. No. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my story. So I got and, pushed out of the company. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I hope yeah. folks will read the book. I hope they get a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of insight. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm the first sort of insider that's kind of, you know, sought to explain what it's like inside inside right. the, you know, walls of a Fortune 500 company taking these stances and waving their arms around saying, hey, look at me, I'm so good and virtuous. <laughs> right. Um, so I think people find it interesting. I hope. I certainly do. I know that. I when I found out you were going to be on on the show, I was I started reading some stuff, and I was like, "Man, this is going to be cool. I like what I'm reading here," you know. And and I'll be open up front. I'm I'm a total conservative, but I but I'm not, you know, a uh, a racist, homophobe, every other kind of phobe kind of person. But you are. You are. Yes, I know. I know. I'm a white conservative male. <laughs> you, you, you are. Well, uh, you know what? You don't have to admit that to me. The only um, folks I've spoken with, and I've, it's run the gamut, have been um, conservative. The, the left and the mainstream won't speak to me. And I come from the left. I was left of left of center my whole mm -hmm. life. I am now an independent. Um, but they won't acknowledge at all they won't talk to me they won't it's a it's a sort of a shadow ban in a sense you know yeah. they won't even well, uh, they you, just pretend you, and, and you, you didn't tell the line i didn't tell the line and i i think the other part of it is is because now there is widespread acknowledgement that school closures were harmful catastrophically mm -hmm. harmful and all of these mainstream outlets and left-leaning outlets promoted the narrative that schools needed to yep. stay closed they can't really talk to me without acknowledging their own complicity, or at least I wouldn't let them, <laughs> you know, I would try to force that conversation. Right. So, you know, I guess I wouldn't want to talk to me either if I were them. like I would call them out. And believe me, I have recollection of every headline. I, I mean, I followed this story as closely as you can. I know what every education reporter wrote. I know how they attacked the governors who did open the schools. And so mm -hmm. I might be a little bit unpleasant to speak to, and I don't think they want to do that. Well, no, they don't want to, they don't want to talk to anybody that doesn't agree with them. That's for sure. Because that's, that's a whole new well, ball game. They don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, they also, they can't defend their position. So no. they resort to calling me names mm -hmm. on social media or in articles that they write about me that they never even, interviewed me for right um i mean there was one recently i think it was in the nation maybe i'm getting the publication wrong and it they said i had sued levi like not all of it lies none of this is true i never sued i quit i walked away with no severance no nothing they don't care they're just going to try to make me look as greedy and horrible mm -hmm. as possible absolutely um, but i would welcome the debate yeah i'll debate anyone on this subject well, yeah, and you don't, to me, you don't come across as the kind of person that's going to get all riled up and get in somebody's face because you disagree with them or you can have, or that so you can't have a debate with them about a subject or whatever. You don't come across that way to me. So it's like, I don't, you know, for people to, but they jump to conclusions. Yes, and the narrative is just, you're a bad person mm -hmm. if you thought this. You may have been right, but you were right for the wrong reasons. So we're not going to talk to you. <laughs> Correct. I mean, there was a piece recently in the Atlantic um, requesting amnesty for those who, you know, advocated for these positions of, of mm -hmm. closures because they were doing it for the right reasons. Right. Yeah, wow. I, did, I did hear about that. And I was just like, are you kidding me right now? And her defense was, and, you know, the woman who wrote it was fairly okay, I would say, on school openings. But you know, her, her defense was, well, we didn't know. We only didn't know for like a month. Right. You know, 
all the Northern European countries open schools starting in April. Mm -hmm. Like we knew at that point. So what's your excuse for continuing for a year and a half? What's the excuse for continuing to advocate for restrictions on children even now? Mm -hmm. Um, There is no excuse. So I don't, I I won't be granting any amnesty, not without accountability. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there was one European country, I think it was Sweden, that never shut down anything. Nothing. That's right. Zippo. And I was like, oh, you go Sweden. (laughs) I was like, I like you. Well, they followed all the sort of pre-pandemic planning, which says you Mm -hmm. never shut down schools. Denmark did close initially. They opened three weeks later because they said the harms to children were too great. Yeah. They realized very, very quickly. Yeah, some common sense. Right. Um, And, you know, in the United States, some states, Florida most notably, opened by August of 2020, and the governor Mm -hmm. of Florida was vilified for it. You know, he was said to be killing all the children. They, mm-hmm. they did not kill all the children. Although I think some <laughs> no. people still believe all the children are dead in Florida. I think there's people that actually think that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there are some that do. That That's the scary part is there are probably some that do. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, the governor of Georgia was said to be performing, you know, an experiment in death because he opened schools. So, you know, these people were vilified and they are now vindicated, but of course no one's saying, hey, these folks got it right. Ron DeSantis got it right. Governor Kemp got it right. No one's saying that. They're saying they're terrible people and they sort of accidentally did the right thing, but we should still hate them. Yes, yes. No matter what they did right, we still hate them. (laughs) Right. Well, they did the right thing for the wrong reasons. Right. That's the rationale now. Yeah, that's it right there. Now, and to, I actually, my view is I don't care what your intentions were. If you did right. the wrong thing and you hurt someone, children, mm-hmm. you did the wrong thing and you don't get to have, I don't think you should get to have your job as a public health You're official. Right. That advocated I agree. For that. Yeah. I'm and sure it works. If you don't really, do your job. It, yeah. They're not right? going to keep me around. <laughs> Nope. And I wouldn't expect them exactly. to. Exactly. But um, you know, you one of the things that the drives job. me nuts too is the fact that, you know, we when the whole vaccine thing mandate for that came about, which is completely not legal, but that's a whole other story. Um, you know, we were forcing doctors, nurses, all our healthcare workers to get it or not have a job in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm sorry, right. wait, what? You want to get rid of the healthcare workers that need to take care of people because they won't get an ex- experimental shot. When they worked through the worst of it in March, yes. they all worked through it. Most of them got it. And mm-hmm. now you're going to, you, you champion them as healthcare heroes in March, 2020. And mm-hmm. now they're villains. How does this yeah. make sense? Oh, and by the way, and this was something I avoided talking about while I was still employed at Levi's, but outside of the <laughs> mandates being wrong, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Yeah. So they're even more, it's even more egregiously wrong. Like, I mean, I would think it was wrong to mandate it, even if they worked really, really well. Cause I don't think, you know, I think our bodily autonomy is the probably most sacred right there is, mm-hmm. but if it doesn't work, then it's really, really messed up. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, especially when it has side effects that are really bad for your health. Yeah. And it doesn't prevent infection or transmission. Nope. Which is exactly what a vaccine is supposed to do. It's supposed to prevent yeah. you from getting it and prevent you from spreading it. And this does they, none of that. I know, but they've changed the definition. Now it's oh, just yeah. that it's supposed to lessen symptoms, which I don't really think they even know that that is true. But then again, they've also changed the definition of an anti-vaxxer, which I will now yeah. proudly, you know, I'll carry that mantle now if you want me to. Um, it doesn't matter if you've had every other vaccine. It doesn't nope. matter. It, it doesn't even matter if you had this one and you then, and then you question it or, or if you've had mm-hmm. this one and then you challenge mandates, you're an anti-vaxxer. I mean, basically mm-hmm. everyone who doesn't want to get in line every two months for a booster is now an anti-vaxxer. Yep. And well, I think I we need to reclaim that. 
I, I think we should take it back. We should claim that instead of saying I'm not, I think we should say, yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, I tell people, I mean, I will openly admit I am that person because I'm not doing it. Good for you. So how does that go with your friends and family? Is everybody fine with that? Uh, yeah, because all of my friends and family are on the same boat. They, uh, none of right. my none of my kids have been vaxxed. None of my grandkids have been vaxxed and will not be. Um, they, you know, they have bucked the mask mandates from the word go, um, just like I did. And the, literally the only time I've ever put a mask on my face was when I absolutely had to to go into a store or something like that. Right. But I'll guarantee you, if I saw one person in that store without a mask on, mine came off my face and went in my pocket immediately. Yeah. 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 That's not what it was like if you lived in San Francisco. Oh, I'm sure it was. Well, I am from California originally. Oh. And my kids, my kids still live in California, Northern California, North of San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, I mean, we would, like I said, the playgrounds were closed for close to 10 months. We would take my younger children to the playground. We would jump the fence. Everything was tied up with yellow caution tape. And people in the neighborhood would call the police on us, on a three-year-old mm -hmm. child, because we leapt into the playground. They were told that that was the right thing to do. They felt very virtuous calling the police on yeah. a family with a three-year-old and a five-year-old because they wanted to go on the seesaw or the swings. Right. And how ridiculous is that? I mean, what a common sense has gone out the window. Here's a funny story. And then I'll leave you alone. Um, when they finally <laughs> did open the playgrounds in the fall, I was, somebody just reminded me of this today. So when they finally did open the playgrounds by like October or November, I think they had all these rules. So Children, you were only allowed to stay a half an hour. You weren't allowed to drink water because if you open that, you'd have to take your mask off at the playground, and that was a danger. If a child was crying, you were required to remove that child from the playground because crying spews droplets. We're talking about three-year-olds at a playground. Oh my word! Uh, and everybody just thought those were great rules. Oh my goodness, that's insanity to me. I mean, it's insanity. They removed all the basketball hoops from outdoor basketball courts. This is where kids play. Uh, yeah. You weren't allowed to go surfing. I knew that. I knew that. But people Well, because I remember in Southern California, there was a guy that got arrested on a paddleboard out in the ocean who was completely alone. The cops were waiting <laughs> for him on the beach. I said, was, well, I would have never thing. gone to the beach. I would have paddled further down and said, bye, I'm not coming yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same thing happened in Santa Cruz in um, in Northern California. Like what is more like isolating and alone and safe than surfing? Right. It's just like You're completely by just, yourself. It's just proof of how everyone lost their minds. Yeah, absolutely did. No doubt. Now, anyway, that's go, all on a side. Yeah, I want to go on a little bit of a different subject here. I read something about okay. you today that I found really interesting is that you used to be a gymnast. Is that correct? Yeah, I was a, a, a an elite gymnast. That's what it's called when you compete at the highest level yes. in the 80s. Um, I'm old. I'm 53. <laughs> and so I um, was on the national team for most of the 80s. And I was the 1986 national champion. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, I think that's, a, that's an amazing accomplishment right there. I think it is anyway. Yeah, thank you. And I find that to be a very cool thing because there's not very many people can say something like that. That is true. Um, I will say the thing I'm most proud of in regards to the sport, though, is so this whole thing with COVID was not my first um, time at the whistleblowing rodeo, I guess. <laughs> I, um, you know, the sport has been exposed as very abusive and cruel mm -hmm. and sure emotionally is. abusive physically. And there's sexual abuse. And that was exposed um, mm -hmm. with the Larry Nasser case, who was the doctor for Team USA, who sexually abused 
hundreds and hundreds of girls. I wrote a book, my first book actually in 2008 called Chalked Up. And it um, was about my experience in the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was 40 and still sort of suffering from the abusive culture. And so I wrote about it and I sort of thought, everybody knew and it was okay to talk about it, but apparently it was not okay to talk about it. So that was my first experience just getting trashed. Um, it was a much smaller community. You know, it was the gymnastics community and, mm-hmm. and a little bit across other sports, you know, in the Olympic movement. Um, right. But I was called terrible names, you know, a liar and a grifter and I was going to get sued and people, you know, threats of violence and all this stuff. And of course, 10 years later, I was redeemed. Um, yes. And there's a real movement now within sports and the athletes are, are coming together to say, no, we are the reason these sports exist. You can't mm-hmm. treat us like, um, like you own us. You can't treat us like we're disposable. We need safe training conditions. And yep. I, you know, I was one of the early voices, if not the first from the sport that, that spoke out on that. So that's the thing I'm most proud of in terms of my contribution to sport, not medals and stuff <laughs> right well that that's awesome i mean so you're just a troublemaker all the way around <laughs> apparently but see i'm so nice i don't come across you like, are my husband my husband he seems like a troublemaker he likes to disagree to disagree he's a fighter i love it but i am very diplomatic and nice and i just keep getting myself into a pickle anyway <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I like you. I like you. I think you're an awesome <laughs> you're person. You're sweet. And I, hey. I, love that you're, I love that you have taken a stand. I love that you have taken a stand for your kids, not just your kids, but kids in general throughout this whole situation. And, uh, and I agree. It took a lot of courage to walk away from that kind of a career and, on principle. And that being the reason. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if I was more stupid than courageous, but you know, I'm going to muddle through. It'll, <laughs> I'll get through it. <laughs> so, what are you doing? What are you up to nowadays? What are you doing now? Well, right now, um, I mean, I wrote the book really fast because I just lost my job or walked away from my job in February of this year. So, I wrote the book this summer. Um, now I'm okay. out promoting the book, and I really hope people check it out and tell me what you think and, you know, leave a review. I'm also making a documentary film. Um, It's my second, I actually made one called athlete day, which if your viewers are interested, you can watch on Netflix. It won an Emmy in 2020 and it is about the abuse in gymnastics. Um, I'm making one now about the impact to children from the long-term school closure. So we're in production. So that's how I spend my time mostly. Well, sounds like you're still keeping busy. Yeah, I'm trying to. I got to figure out how to make a living, but that'll come. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Yep. Well, man, I anyway. I want to thank you for being on the We the People podcast with me tonight. It's been an absolute privilege. You've been an awesome guest, by the way. And uh, your story is incredible, and I love it. And uh, when the book becomes available, I intend to get it. And it is so- available. Oh, it is. It's it available is available now. now. Yeah. 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 And you can buy it. At, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Target.com. You can get it at BarnesandNoble.com. Or a lot of folks like to buy direct from the publisher and not give their mm-hmm. money to Amazon. Yeah. So if you want to buy direct from the publisher, you go to Levi'sUnbutton.com. Perfect. That's even better. That's good info for all my listeners. I like it. And for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I can go and get the you. book. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you like it. I hope you check it well, out. Well, you know what? I'm sure I will because I like your story. I like what you I like what you stand for. I like that you took a stand and uh, and not without cost. You know, you did it. You did the right thing for the right reasons, even though there was some cost involved to you personally. But you chose to do the right thing in, st- in spite of everything else. I love that. Thank you. That's very nice. I hope more people are inspired to do the same. I well, think we're, if, I if think they we, will listen to your story. I think they will be. Or they'll be like, yeah, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> it's one or the other. Could be that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, my thing is, is if we do it together. 
Mm-hmm. They can't do this. They can't cancel us all. Like we, we've got to be, it's got to be 50%. I think more I mean, 63% oh, yeah. of people say they don't feel like they can say what they really think. Well, what if you did, are they going to mm-hmm. kick us all out and right. fine, then cancel us all. And we'll all go to, you know, I'm canceled Island and we'll be happy. <laughs> right. Bye. We'll be the Island of canceled people. <laughs> Yeah, and there'll be like two people left in the other part that aren't canceled because right. nobody is. You know, and that's my point is they're going to come for you too. So mm-hmm. stand up you're now. Correct. Yeah, exactly right. Stand up when you've got somebody to support you and you're not completely alone because it will come to that point if we don't. It will. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, thank you again for being on. You've been an awesome guest and I've enjoyed this immensely. Um you're just a, you're, you seem like a great person, a nice person. And, and I love that. And you've been very easy to talk to and your story is amazing. So I hope everybody that hears this podcast will go out and get your book and look for your documentaries and, uh, and even your first book, which was called Chalked. Chalked up. Like, you know, Jim has chalked their hands. Yep. Chalk up. Yes, they do a lot. And, uh, so thank you for being on and, uh, man, keep, keep fighting the fight. You too. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too. Okay. There you have it, folks. Uh, Jennifer Say and uh, was in line to be the CEO of Levi Strauss Company and chose to leave to do because she stood up for the right thing for her kids not just for her kids, but for our kids and uh, to do the right thing, stand up against mandates. And she chose to walk away. She took no severance, which is incredible to me and uh, continues to fight the fight, the good fight, because uh, these COVID regs and things are just ridiculous and always have been. So I encourage you to go get her book, uh, the uh, Levi's Unbuttoned book, and it's at all the major book places, so you can go get it there. So from uh, me, Rodney, your host on here, we the, on We the People here tonight, I thank you all for listening. So share this, subscribe, and let's get the word out about what's going on in our country and about, about uh, stories like this. This is a, this is a good story, and it's uh, a life story, a, a real life story. So let's get the word out, get the message out. Thank you all for subscribing, for sharing, and for listening. And for We The People Podcast, this is Rodney, your host, signing off and uh, saying God bless you, God bless America, and uh, have a good night.